two chapters seventeen and eighteen of Amadis of Gaul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Libiera, translated by Robert Southey. Book two, chapter seventeen. How King Sildadon and Don Galior were carried away to be cured, and how they were placed the one in a strong tower surrounded by the sea, the other in a garden with high walls and iron railings, where each thought he was in prison, not knowing by whom he had been brought there, and of what befell them. Now you shall know what became of King Sildadon and Galior. The damsels who removed them dressed their wounds, and on the third day they recovered their senses. Galior found himself in a rich room, which stood upon four marble pillars and had an iron grating on all sides through which he saw that he was in a garden surrounded with a high wall in which was only one little door covered with plates of iron astonished to find himself in such a place he thought he was in prison and felt such pain from his wounds that he expected nothing but death and he remembered the battle but knew not who had carried him from it nor how he had been removed there. King Sildadon also, when he came to himself, saw that he was lying in a rich bed in a vaulted chamber of a large tower. He looked round and saw no one, neither door nor any entrance into the chamber, but over the arch he heard voices. There was a window near his bed from whence he looked out and saw the sea, and it seemed that the tower he was in was a high tower upon a rock and that the sea washed it on three sides. He too remembered the battle, but nothing more. But he well knew that if he was thus a prisoner, his friends could not be in better plight, and seeing no remedy, lay down again in bed, groaning and in great pain with his wounds. Don Galaor, as he was lying in the open chamber, saw the little door of the garden wall open, and raised his head with great difficulty, there came in a damsel very fair and richly apparelled, and with her a man so feeble and old that it was a wonder how he could walk. They came up to the iron grating and said to him, Don Galaor, look to your soul, for we cannot warrant you. The damsel then produced two little boxes, one of iron, the other of silver, and showing them to Galaor said, she who brought you here wills not that you should die till she knows whether you will perform her will if so your wounds shall be healed and you shall have food good damsel replied he if what she desire be anything that i ought not to do it will be worse than death do as you please quoth she we care little for your answer it is at your own choice to live or die the old man then opened the door of the grating, and they both went in, and she took the box of iron, and told the old man to withdraw, and then she said to Galaor, Sir, I have such compassion on you, that I will venture my own life to save yours. I have been ordered to fill this box with poison, and the other with an ointment to make you sleep the poison being then rubbed into your wounds will act more instantly and you would presently die but instead of this i have put here a remedy 
the which, if you take it daily for seven days, will so heal you, that by that time you shall be wholly recovered, and able to ride on horseback as before. She then applied the ointment to his wounds, and the pain was instantly assuaged. Good damsel, quoth he, you do so greatly bind me to your service, that if by your will I may escape from hence, never was damsel so well guerdoned by night as you shall be. But if you have not means for this, and yet wish to serve me, contrive that Organda the unknown may know in what perilous prison I am laid, for in her I have great hope. The damsel then began to laugh. What hope can you have in Organda? Who cares little for your weal or woe? So much, replied Galaor, that, as she knows the wishes of all, she knows how greatly it is my wish to serve her. The damsel then answered, Look for no other Organda than me, Don Galaor, and take you good hope, for it is the part of courage, not only to encounter danger, but to endure its after-chances. For the danger in which I place myself to heal you, and deliver you from hence, I ask one boon, which shall be neither to your dishonour nor hurt. I grant, quoth he, all that might rightly be performed. Now then, said she, it is time to depart, lie you down, and feign to sleep soundly. He did accordingly. She called the old man and said, Look how he sleeps. Now the poison will work. So it ought, quoth the old man, that he who brought him here may be avenged. Since you have obeyed so well, you may come alone for the future, and see that you keep him fifteen days, that he die not, but live in great agony. And by that time they will be here who shall make him atone for the wrongs he hath done them. When Galaor heard this, he found that the old man was his mortal enemy. Howbeit he took hope for what she had said to him. The old man and the damsel then went out of the garden. Presently she returned and brought with her two little girls, fair girls and well-apparelled, who took food for Galaor, and she let them into the chamber to keep him company, and gave them books of history to read to him, that he might not sleep by day and then she fastened the door and left them. King Sildadon in the tower saw also a door open in the wall, a stone door so neatly fitted that it looked like the wall itself, and a dame of middle age entered with two armed knights, and approached the bed without saluting him. He on his part spake to them with courteous salutation, but they answered not. The dame took off the bedclothes, and applied salves to his wounds, then gave him food, and they went out again and fastened the stone door, not having spoken a word. The king thought that verily he was in prison, and where his life was not secure, howbeit having no remedy, he took as good comfort as he could. When it was time, the damsel returned to Galaor and asked him how he fared. So well, quoth he, that if it proceed so I shall be in good plight by the time you promised. Doubt not, said she, that what I have said shall be accomplished. But you must promise me the boon as a loyal knight, for only by my help can you escape. 
the attempt would be to your mortal danger and hurt, and you could not effect it at last. That Galaor promised, and he besought her to tell him her name. What, quoth she, Don Galaor, know you not my name? I am deceived in you. Time was that I did you a service, which it seems you little remember. They call me the wise among the wisest. With that she departed, and he remained thinking who she might be, and remembering the good sword which Orgonda had given him when he was knighted by Amadis. He thought it should be her, but Orgonda was old, and this was a damsel. He looked for the two little girls, and they were gone. But in their stead he saw his squire Gasavel, and Ardian, the dwarf of Amadis, both sleeping. He joyfully called them. They awoke, and when they saw who was there, ran weeping for joy to kiss his hand, and exclaimed, O oh, good sir, blessed be God, who has brought us here to serve you. He asked them how they came there. They replied, They knew not, only that Amadis and Agraeus and Florestan had sent them with him. Amadis, quoth he, was he found at such a time? Sir, said they, know that Beltenebros is your own brother Amadis, and that by his prowess the battle was won. Thou tellest me great things, cried Galaor, and great pleasure have I therein, though he has not given me cause for pleasure in keeping himself so long concealed from me. Thus abode King Sildadon and Don Galaor, the one in that great tower, the other in the garden chamber, where they were both healed of their hurts. Then Organda made herself known to them, for they were in her power in her undiscovered island, and she told them that the fear wherein she had put them was to effect their cure more speedily, for in their perilous state it so behooved. And she sent two damsels to attend them and complete their recovery. They were her nieces, and fair damsels, being the daughters of King Falangris, who was brother to Lesuarte by Gramota, Organda's sister, by him begotten when he was a young bachelor. The one was called Julianda, the other Solisa. And it so chanced that the one bore a son named Talonque to Don Galaor, and the other a son to King Sildadon, who was called Manelli the Discreet who were both valiant and strong knights, and in this state of great pleasure these two knights remained till it pleased Organda to set them at liberty, as you shall hear hereafter. When Lisuarte and Amadis, and the other knights were all whole of their wounds, he went to Fenusa, where the queen then sojourned, and there was he received with such joy by her, and by Briolania and Oriana, and the other dames and damsels, as never welcomed man before. But the joyful greeting which Queen Briolania gave to Amadis, that can in no way be written, she taking him by the hand made him sit between her and Oriana, and she said to him, My lord, the grief and sorrow which I felt when they told me you were lost, I cannot relate to you. I came hither with an hundred knights immediately that your brothers might order them whither they would in your search, and because this battle delayed their departure, 
I resolved to remain here till it was decided. Now then, direct me what I shall do, and it shall be done. Good lady mine, quoth Amadis, if you felt sorrow for my mishap, great reason had you, for there is no man in the world who hath a better will to obey you. But since you desire me to direct you, I would have you abide here ten days, and dispatch your business with the king. In that time we may know something of my brother, Don Galaor, and there will be a battle which has been appointed between Don Florestan and Landin. After that I will conduct you to your kingdom, and from thence I must go to the firm island, where I have much to do. So let it be, replied Briolania, and I beseech you, tell us the wonders which you have found in that island. He would have excused himself, but Oriana took his hand and said, You shall not leave us till you have told us something of them. Good ladies, quoth Amadis, trust me, labor however I should, I could never relate all. But this I say, that that forbidden chamber is the most rich and beautifulest thing in the world, and if by one of you it is not achieved, I believe none else will ever win it. Briolania, after a while of silence, answered, I do not esteem myself such a one as can accomplish that adventure. Yet such as I am, if you will not impute it to folly, I will prove it. Lady, quoth Amadis, I hold it no folly to attempt that wherein all have failed for want of beauty, especially in you whom God hath gifted so bountifully therewith. Rather I hold it honourable to desire to win a fame which may endure through long ages. At this was Oriana greatly displeased, and her countenance fell, so that Amadis, whose eyes never left her, understood her feelings, and repented himself of what he had said, albeit that all his design had been to her greater praise. For having seen the likeness of Grimanesa, he knew that Briolania, fair as she was, did not equal her beauty, and of his own lady's success he nothing doubted. But Oriana feared that whatever was to be won by beauty, Briolania could win, and having requested her if she succeeded to let her know all the wonders of the chamber, she withdrew and went to Mabilia and told her what had passed. This always is the case with your cousin, said she. My poor heart thinks only of pleasing him, neither regarding God nor the anger of my parents, and he knowing his full power holds me at little price. And then the tears came and coursed down her fair cheeks. Mabilia answered, I marvel, lady, what manner of heart is yours. You are no sooner out of one trouble than you seek another. What great wrong is this that my cousin hath committed? If Apollodon left this chamber to be proved by all, shall he forbid the proof to Briolania? Certes, I believe that neither her beauty nor yours will avail to accomplish that which none in a hundred years, for lack of beauty, could effect. But this is his overruling destiny that hath made him forsake all his lineage for your service, and thus it is you reward him. You do not desire his life, and will therefore drive him to death. This will be his reward, and mine, for all the friendship I have borne you, will be to see the flower of all my family, him who so dearly loves me, perish before my eyes. 
this will I never remain to see, for my brother Agrias and Galvanias my uncle shall take me home to my own country. And with that she wept and exclaimed, God grant that this cruelty towards Amadis may be well requited to you, and this wrong you do his friends. But their loss, great though it be, will be less than yours, destroying him whom for your sake has deserted them, to give himself wholly to you. When Mabilia spake thus, Oriana's heart was so overcharged that she could not speak, till at last the tears came, and she cried, Wretch that I am above all others! I came to you for relief, and you increase my sorrow, suspecting that which was never in my heart. Let God never help me if ever I had a thought. But what distresses me is, lest another woman should accomplish that proof which would be to me worse than death. And this fear has made me think wrongly of him, who perhaps had but good in his intention. But come, forgive me, and for the love you bear your cousin, advise me. And then, with a sweet smile, she embraced Mabilia. True friend and dearest, I promise you, I will never speak of this to your cousin, nor let him know that I have had such a thought, but say you to him what you think best. Mabilia answered, I will forgive you on one condition that whatever anger you conceive against him, you never discover it to him till you have first consulted me, that no evil like the past may happen again. With this were they well reconciled, between whom there could never be a want of love. But Mabilia sharply reprehended Amadis, and warned him to be wary in his conduct to Briolania, remembering what he had suffered on her account and how difficult it is to root out jealousy from a woman's heart. Amadis replied, Lady and good cousin, my thoughts were very different. Briolania is held by all for one of the most beautiful women in the world, so they make no doubt she can enter the forbidden chamber, but I who have seen the likeness of Grimanesa know that it will not be so. That honour which any one hitherto has won that certainly will Briolania win. But Oriana has only to try, and to succeed. But if Oriana achieves the adventure before Briolania has essayed it, all will say that the other would have won had she been first. On the contrary, when she will have failed, as sure I am she must fail, my lady will have her full glory. Well was Oriana satisfied at hearing this, and greatly repented her of her fault, to atone for which they appointed that Amadis should come to her apartment through an old waterway that issued into a garden. Presently Oriana and Briolania called Amadis and requested him to answer them truly what they should ask, the which he promised. Tell us then, said Oriana, who the damsel was who won the garland when you gained the sword. Then was Amadis grieved at the question, because he was bound to answer it truly. As God shall help me, lady, said he, I know no more of her name than you do, though I was seven days in her company, but this I can say, that she had beautiful locks, and as far as I could see was right fair. Thus was Oriana sporting with him, 
when there came a damsel to summon him on the king's part saying that don quadragante and his nephew landin were come to acquit themselves of their promises being all assembled quadragante rose and said i come to discharge a promise made to amadis of gaul and he then related how they had done battle together and added that both by the event of that battle and by reason he was bound to forgive him the death of king abias who had been slain in fair combat and to receive him for a friend even in what degree it pleased him then amadis embraced him and thanked him and notwithstanding this friendship appeared a thing constrained yet did it long and faithfully continue and because florestan and landin were to fight upon the same quarrel it was judged that since quadragante who was principal in the cause had forgiven it their dispute should cease the which pleased landin not a little for he had witnessed the prowess of florestan in the great battle king lisuarte now called to mind the cruel prison of king arban of north wales and angriote of astravius and determined to pass over to the island of mongaza to deliver them this resolution he imparted to his knights then amadis answered sir you know what loss to your service is the absence of don galaor if it please you i and my brother and my cousins will go in search of him and if it please god return with him by the time that you make this voyage the king replied god knows with what good will i myself would seek him if so many things did not prevent me since i cannot do what you say then more than an hundred knights arose all good men in arms and said that they would enter upon that quest for in no worthier adventure could they be employed thereat was king lisuarte well pleased and he besought amadis not to depart for he would speak with him chapter eighteen how the king beheld a strange sight of fires upon the sea and of what happened after supper it being almost the hour of sleep as the king was in the gallery looking toward the sea he saw two fires coming on through the water whereat all were greatly astonished marvelling how the fire and water could exist together as they drew nearer a galley was seen between the two fires and on its mast there were great torches burning so that the whole vessel seemed to blaze the uproar was great for all the people ran to the walls to see this wonder expecting that if the water could not quench this fire nothing else could and the city would surely be consumed so they were greatly terrified the queen with all her ladies went in their fear to the chapel and the king mounted and with his guard of fifty knights rode down to the shore and found there the most part of his knights and in the front of all amadis and guilon the pensive and enil so near the fires that he wondered how they could endure them then spurring his horse whom the tumult had frightened he rode up to them presently he saw come from under a cloth that covered the deck a dame clad in white holding a golden casket in her hands the which she opened and took out a lighted candle and threw it into the sea where it was extinguished 
At once the two great fires were quenched so that no trace of them remained. Only the torches upon the mast remained burning and cast a light along the shore. Then was the cloth which covered the galley withdrawn, and they saw how it was all hung with green boughs and strewed with roses and flowers, and they heard instruments within sounding very sweetly. And when the instruments ceased, ten damsels came forth, all richly garmented, with garlands on their heads and wands of gold in their hands, and before them was the lady who had quenched the candle in the sea. And they, coming to the galley's edge opposite to the king, made obeisance to him, and he on his part returned the greeting. Then said Lisuarte, Dame, you have put us in great fear with your fires. If it please you, tell me who you are, though I believe with little difficulty we can divine. Sir, quoth she, in vain should he labor who strove to strike fear into your great heart, and into these knights in whom no fear is. These fires I bring to protect me and my damsels. And if you think I am Organda the Unknown, you think aright. I come to you as the best king in the world, and to behold the queen, who for virtue and goodness hath no peer. Then said she to Amadis, Sir, draw nearer, and I will tell you of your brother Galeor, to save you and your friends the labor of searching him, for though all in the world were to seek him it would be but labor lost. He is healed of his wounds, and leads a life of such pleasure as he never till now enjoyed. Lady, quoth Amadis, I always thought that next to God the safety of Don Galeor was in your hands, else would I rather have died than suffer him to be carried from me as he was. You shall soon see him, quoth she. The king then said, It is time that you should leave the galley and come to my palace. Many thanks, she answered, but this night I will remain here. Tomorrow I will be at your command. Then let Amadis and Agrias and Don Bruneo of Bonamar, and Don Guilan the Pensive, come for me, for they are all lovers and of high heart, even as I am myself. Use your own pleasure, replied Lisuarte, in this and everything. Then, ordering all the people to return into the town, he took his leave, and appointed twenty crossbowmen to keep guard, that none should go down to the shore. In the morning the queen sent twelve palfreys richly accoutred for Organda and her damsels. Amadis and the other knights whom she had named, being clothed in costly garments, went with them. They found Organda and her company in a tent which she had pitched upon the sand, and they placed them on their palfreys, and went towards the town, the four knights surrounding Organda. Now, said she, is my heart glad because I see those around me who are like myself, and this she said because of the love she bore to that fair knight who was her friend. When they arrived at the palace the king welcomed her right courteously, and she kissed his hand, and looking round and beholding the knights on every side, how many they were, she said, Sir, you are well accompanied, and this I say, not so much for the valor of these knights as for the love they bear you. For when princes are loved by their people, then are their kingdoms safe. Therefore preserve their love, and beware of evil counsellors. Now, if it please you, I will see the queen, 
so she and the four knights went to Brisena, by whom and by Oriana, and Briolania and all the dames and damsels she was lovingly received. Much did she admire the beauty of Briolania, and saw that it fell far short of Oriana's perfection. Lady, quoth she, I came to this court to see the greatness of the king and you, the height of prowess and the flower of beauty, and the perfection of true love, for as valour was proved in the conquest of the firm island, and in the death of the giants, and in that dolorous battle with King Sildadan, so was true love in the proofs of the burning sword and of the garland. When Oriana heard her say this, her colour changed, and she greatly feared, as did Mabilia and the damsel of Denmark, fearing that Urganda should tell all. And Oriana looked at Amadis, but he, seeing her apprehension, drew near to her and said, Fear nothing, she will not say what you imagine. And then he went to the queen and said, Lady, ask Urganda who she was who won the garland. And the queen replied, If it please you, friend, tell us what Amadis desires to know. She smiled and answered, He better ought to know than I, for he was in her company, and with great toil delivered her from Archelaus and Lindorak. I, quoth Amadis, it cannot be that I should know either her or myself better than you know us, for from you nothing is concealed. Then, said she, I will tell you what you know of her. And raising her voice, that all might hear her, she pursued, Though Amadis brought her here as a damsel, she is certainly no damsel, and because she loves so truly, she won the garland. She is a native of this kingdom, and in this kingdom she dwells, and hath here her heirship. But her mother is not of this land, and if she lacks anything, it is only because she cannot have him whom she loveth. He who would discover her must seek her in this kingdom and he will lose his labor. She said no more, and Oriana's heart was then at rest. Then went they to their meal. Organda besought the queen that she might be lodged with Oriana and Queen Briolania. That shall you, replied Brisena, but I believe their follies will disquiet you. Their beauty, quoth Organda, will more disquiet the knights, whose valor cannot protect them against that danger. They may easily, replied the queen, be pardoned the deaths of all they have yet slain. So taking her leave, Organda went to Oriana's apartment, where there were four beds, one for Briolania, and one for Mabilia, and for Organda, and herself. When Organda saw that they were all asleep except Oriana, she said to her, Lady and friend, if you do not sleep, reason it is that he should keep you waking who has no rest but in your sight. Oriana was abashed at her words, but she added, Fear nothing, I will not divulge your secrets. Speak low, cried Oriana, that they may not hear you. I will relieve you of that fear, quoth Organda. Therewithal she took forth a book, which was so little, that a hand might have shut over it, and began to read. Now, said she, do what you will, they shall not awake, and if any one should enter the room, she would fall down asleep. Oriana rose and went to waken Briolania, but she could not, 
and she laughed and took her by the head and hands and pulled her out of bed, and did the same to Mabilia, but they neither of them awakened. And then she called the damsel of Denmark, who was just without the door, and she, as soon as she entered, fell upon the floor in a deep sleep. Then Oriana joyfully went into Organda's bed and said, I beseech you, since you know what is to come, tell me what will happen to me. Organda looked at her and smiled. Dear daughter, said she, do you think to escape it, if it be evil, by knowing it aforehand? Believe not so, for that which is permitted and ordained by the Most High, none can alter, whether it be good or ill, unless he remedies it. But since you so greatly wish me to say something, I will speak. Look now, if when you have the knowledge you can profit by it. At that time when great sorrow shall be present with you, and many shall because of you be greatly afflicted, the strong lion with his beast shall come forth, and with his loud roaring shall in such sort astonish those who have you in their keeping, that you shall be left in his strong talons, and the famous lion shall throw from your head the lofty crown which shall no longer be yours, and the hungry lion having your body in his power, shall bear it into his den, that his extreme famine may be slacked. Now, daughter dear, look how you act, for this must come to pass. Lady, quoth Oriana, I should have been better content if I had not inquired, for you have made me in great terror of this strange and cruel end. Lady and daughter fair, replied Organda, Seek not to know that which neither your prudence nor strength can avert. Of these dark things men often dread that for which they ought to be joyful. Meantime be you happy, for God has made you daughter of the best king and queen in the world, and has gifted you with such beauty that it is ever spoken of as a wonder, and has made that knight love you who shines above all others in prowess, even as day above darkness. Now it is time to awaken these ladies. She then opened her book again, and read, and they recovered. After some days Organda besought the king to summon all his knights, and the queen to assemble her dames and damsels, that she might speak to them before her departure. Accordingly they met together in a spacious hall that was richly furnished, and Organda placed herself where all might hear her. Then she said to the king, Sir, since you have kept the letters which I sent to you, and Don Galaor, just after Beltenebros had won the sword, I beseech you, let them be produced, that all here may know that I knew what was to come to pass. The letters were then read, and it was seen how all had been accomplished, whereat the knights marvelled, and still more admired the courage of the king, who notwithstanding that fearful forewarning, had dared enter the battle. In like sort was it certainly known that by three strokes from Beltenebros the battle was won, the first when he felled King Sildadon at Galaor's feet, the second when he slew Sarmadon the lion, the third when, succoring the king, he lopped off the arm of Madanfabul, the fierce giant of the Vermilion Tower. That also was fulfilled which had been written of Don Galaor that his head should be in the power of him who should strike the three strokes, 
for so it was when Amadis held it in his lap as dead. Now, said Urganda, I will tell what shall come to pass in process of time. Contention shall arise between the great serpent and the strong lion, in which many fierce beasts shall take part. Anger and fury shall come upon them, so that many shall suffer cruel death. The great Roman fox shall be wounded by the claw of the strong lion, and his skin cruelly torn, whereby a part of the great serpent shall be in great affliction. In that time the gentle sheep, covered with black wool, shall come between them, who by his humble and loving blandishments shall assuage the fury of their hearts. But presently the wolves shall come down from the mountains against the great serpent, who being with all his animals by them conquered, shall be blocked up in one of his dens, and the tender unicorn, putting his mouth to the ear of the strong lion, shall rouse him from his sleep, and make him hasten to the succour of the great serpent, whom he shall find so wounded and bitten that the blood shall flow over his scales, and he shall deliver him from the mouths of the wolves, and they shall all be destroyed. Then the great serpent, having his life restored, and casting all his poison from his entrails, shall consent that the white doe shall be placed in the cruel talons of the lion. Now, good king, let all this be written, for so it must be. The king said it should be done, albeit he understood it not. Time will come, she answered, when it shall be manifest to all. Then, looking at Amadis, who was musing, she said, Amadis, you muse upon that which cannot avail you. Let that be, and think of a bargain you have to make. At that time you shall be brought near to death for another's life, and for another's blood shall expend your own, and of that bargain the martyrdom will be yours, and another will have the gain, and the guerdon which you shall have will be wrath, and the long delay of your will. Then shall that keen and beautiful sword so pierce thy flesh and bones that you shall be poor of blood, and in such plight that if half the world were yours you would give it so that that sword were broken or thrown into some lake from whence it could never be recovered. Look to it, for so it must be. Amadis saw that all eyes were upon him, and he answered cheerfully as he felt, Lady, by what you have said of the past we may believe this also, but I, knowing that I am mortal, and that my life cannot be prolonged one minute longer than it pleaseth God, am desirous to end it justly in some great and honourable enterprise. It were as easy, quoth Organda, to rob your heart of its courage as to drain the sea dry. Then said she to the king, Sir, I must depart. Remember what I have said as one who desires your honour and would serve you. Shut your ears to those whose works you know to be evil. With that she departed, suffering none but the four knights whom she had chosen to conduct her to the shore. Then she embarked, and the ship put forth to sea, and was presently covered with a great darkness. End of chapter 18